Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show for Thursday, October 13th. Derek Van Riper here with Keith Law checking in on the NLDS series, which are both tied at one. We've got some Game 2 thoughts ahead of the ALDS series, which will resume on Thursday. We'll say a few postseason goodbyes. I think the 2022 Mets for sure are on the rundown, Keith. Time permitting, maybe we say goodbye to some others. Too soon. No. Come on. I think it's appropriate. Deserved. Appropriate and deserved. But we begin with the Braves-Phillies game. Pitcher's duel. Kyle Wright, Zach Wheeler both pitched really well. Kyle Wright was just a little bit better. There was great defense in this game. Atlanta's A bullpen came in and did what an A bullpen is supposed to do. So I think this was one of those toss-up sort of games that once one team got an early edge, that might have been all it took. And it was... You know, runs are at, runs are at a premium for a good reason. Kyle Wright has been fantastic all season, probably one of the most improved players in the pool. And Zach Wheeler has been surprisingly effective, even coming off that late season forearm injury. Yeah, this is what I expected more. We would see more of in the postseason. I would like to be wrong, but I figure we're probably figured coming in. We'd see a lot of these games where one team scratches out an early lead, and that's it. Right, and then we get into these. You know, shut down bullpens that everyone's been assembling. Everybody's throwing 98 with some kind of pitching ninja slider. And that's just the end. And I don't love that. I'm not saying that this is what I want at all. It's just that that is the, that's what I expected we'd see in the postseason because that's just sort of where we're headed, where we've been headed as a sport. And I do, it's funny, I had a discussion with a couple of uh, scouts last night talking about what the pitch clock might be. And there was actually a reader there who remembered that I pointed to some of the research by Dr. Mike Son that shows that um, putting a pitch clock in place uh, increases fatigue. It does increase a little bit the risk for pitcher injuries. And w- what the consequence might be is that pitchers don't, they're not throwing as hard. It's not all out every pitch where we're getting their maximum stuff, especially for relievers. And I wonder if next year we won't see as many of these games in the postseason. Maybe we will because pitchers are just that good. but. Um, it, you know, I'm not it, pitch clock does. I do have some concerns. I love the way it has sped up minor league games. I really, really love the way it has sped up minor league games. But I wonder if this that that what we saw in the Atlanta Phillies game last night might be might still be common the rest of this October and become less common in the future. And that's probably good. As much as I like a good pitcher's duel, the idea that oh we're down two nothing in the third, this game is over. I don't think that's great for baseball. I think the game most people 
want to avoid is the type of game that we saw from the Rays and Guardians on Saturday in the AL wildcard yes. series. That was 15 innings where the only run came on the walk-off home run from Oscar Gonzalez, right? That's the that's the nightmare. 15 innings of, of not even just frustration. I think Cleveland had one pretty good scoring chance they couldn't convert, if I remember correctly. But it was 15 innings of a lot of nothing. There weren't that many runners in scoring position. There, were, there, right. there weren't that many moments of tension where you felt like something was about to happen. So that's, that's the problem. That's what I want. That, that's what I'm talking about. That is, so for folks who don't know, I was a pretty big hockey fan when I was a kid because I grew up on Long Island when the Islanders were really good. I remember, I've probably told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again because I like it. Um, when they lost, so they'd won four straight Stanley Cups, and when they lost the fifth one, the Newsday headline was deprived of five. And I remember my reaction at the time, because I remember the fourth one, they had a uh, like a huge color printout with all the... You know the entire roster. And it was deprived of five. I was like, "Who the hell is this Wayne Gretzky kid?" <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Turned out to be pretty. We lost good. for good reason. Yeah. But anyway, I, the thing I always loved about hockey until I just kind of drifted away from the sport um, because of the neutral zone trap, which I think we're the situation we're in now in baseball is very comparable to what hockey went through with the neutral zone trap. Is that we went from almost an anything can happen at any time sense in hockey where you would just spend a huge portion of the game on the edge of your seat unless there was a blowout early that tension never really let up in hockey um and i loved that it was instantly appealing to you know me the kid who was constantly like entertain me you know my my brain demands an endless stream of stimulation so i need you know I suppose, which is funny how i ended up a baseball fan because obviously baseball is not quite so much like that but i love maybe i just like the contrast but you know, good playoff games in baseball should have that feel and unfortunately i think we're in a little bit of a spot in the wild card round was very much like that almost every game maybe every game almost every game was like that where even when a team had an early lead the other team would scratch back a little bit and the games were mostly pretty close and so you had that constant edge of your seat feeling and i don't really know what's happening and that's exciting and that that Atlanta Phillies game was a little bit more of that neutral zone trap where it is, you know, I mean, in hockey and neutral zone trap felt very much like nobody's actually trying to score, which is not what we're in baseball. It's nobody can score. We don't get these opportunities. One team gets an early lead and you have, and then you feel like you, you just have no chance to come back or nobody that Cleveland Tampa Bay game where it's nobody has a chance. We're just in the neutral zone the entire for 14 innings. And then finally, Oscar Gonzalez got one, and it was like, hey, this is awesome. Also, thank God this is over. Right? Come on. <laughs> right? I have no idea how many. I, it, it actually made me think for a hot minute, I missed the Manfred man. And I slapped myself, and I'm like, stop that. That's mm, ridiculous. Yeah. No, nobody wants to see that. But after, you know, by the 13th or 14th, it's like, okay, fine. I understand why the Manfred man is there, but I still don't like it. I think the, the thing that is very clear when you watch playoff baseball can't draw in casual fans. You can't even hold the interest of good fans or consistent fans when games right. turn into this. Playoff baseball is so aesthetically different than what you get during the regular season. That's becoming a problem, too. I know Travis Sochik wrote about it for the score. Uh, that went up on, on Thursday. Other people have written about this and talked about this. And how can you solve it realistically? And I think off days actually make things a little bit worse in the postseason 
because the teams that got there and won a lot of games because they were deep and just really good at playing matchups, doing all the things you have to do to get through 162 games, they don't have to do it anymore. They can shorten right. up the roster and just be better because the the top 25% of their roster is good enough against the other team's top 25% of their roster. Yeah, and you keep, everybody gets rested too. Yes, absolutely. You're right. And one of the bigger things I see is that you can generally use your relievers with the day of rest. You don't have to use your relievers back-to-back that much. I'm not saying using your relievers back-to-back is inherently a good thing. I'm saying that is what led us to the point that we're at now, where you get to bring in your relievers almost always working with the day of rest, so they're throwing 98 with that wipeout slider again. I, I, obviously, I like seeing good pitching. I'm out, out in Fall League, and I've seen some really fun... Okay, I haven't seen a lot of good pitching. Sorry, but I've seen a couple. <laughs> it's not where you go to see good pitching. It's not... No, this is true. See good pitching, I saw a Tink Hens, though. Oh. I got a Tink Hens out. Right. Like, this is extremely exciting. He's a Cardinals prospect who is extremely talented. He's probably a top 100. He's almost certainly a top 100. I certainly for just going on talent, he's pitched very little so far in Pro Bowl. He was very young when he signed. And then there was some minor injury stuff, nothing very serious. He barely pitched in 21. He pitched through 52 innings this year. And it was not injury. It was generally, they were just being extremely cautious with him. So when he came in the second night, I was here. It was like, I, it was like I'd hit the lottery. And by the way, the stuff was really, really good. So I love that. I love pitchers with great stuff. It's just, I like a little more balance too, especially when it comes to postseason games. I like pitchers doing things, and I also like hitters doing things, and runners doing things, and fielders doing things. So the ideal Keith game, if we take a trip into Keith's utopia. Ooh, can we stay there? I don't know if I want to live there. Hey. I'll visit. The coffee will be good. The food will be good. The conversation will be good. Thank you. I'm not going to commit to living there yet. Not sure, right, not sure about the housing Tax situation. I kind of thought they might be, so I got to be careful. You want to see a lot of four three five four type games, then, right? Like that's sort of your aim. Like if you could control the outcome in terms of just the number of runs scored, you want close games, but you want at least seven runs and probably no more than nine or ten runs. I don't mind a good one nothing two one pitcher's duel. I don't want that every night. Like I like the variety that we often get baseball that I feel like we maybe used to get. It's not entirely true. So we still get some of it. I just feel like if we were closer to sort of the midpoint and people can't see me sort of waving my hand like a, a almost like a metronome going back and forth, right? I want to be more towards the middle, uh, including the postseason. You expect the postseason probably be a little bit lower scoring because you're not using your fifth starter, maybe not your fourth starter, not the worst guys in your bullpen. Fine. That's okay. But I love a good you know, a higher scoring, crazy back and forth playoff game. Got the Dodgers Astros series. We'll leave aside the unknown subtext of the series, but it had a couple of games like that that were just sort of like, holy crap, I can't believe this is going on. Yeah. Those are awesome. Those are super fun. And I want some of those too. And then, then I feel like I at least appreciate the great pitching performance that much more. When a starter goes out and throws seven or, God forbid, eight innings in a postseason game, then you're you're even more appreciative of the greatness of it because it is less common. But when 
you know, I, I hate to keep picking on that Guardians Rays game, but then it is like ugh, another zero. Oh, another reliever came in and threw an immaculate inning. Okay, not quite. That didn't actually happen, but but you know that it, it's all a little bit less special, and so you, I want that spread around a bit more so that we do appreciate the great pitching performances more when they're a little bit less common. And I felt like coming out of the wild card series was like. This is good. This is this is better, actually. All the games I think were close. You know, we had a bunch of sweeps, which mm, three game series, whatever, that's gonna happen a lot. But most of those games felt like they were kind of in doubt to the end. And it's funny, the one that probably felt like it was in least doubt was the one the Phillies came back and you know, with this absolutely amazing comeback that they had. Um and then we had that so actually, no, in the Seattle Toronto game, the Seattle uh, unbelievable comeback. Although I will say, there was a lot of, there were many points where I was like, Toronto's going to win this, right? But it's not over, over. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the Phillies come at six and the ninth is just ridiculous. Like that. Right, because we haven't talked since then. Yeah, that just doesn't happen. And unless you're a Cardinals fan, you, <laughs> you probably actually really enjoyed yeah. that. Well, yeah, but Tink Hens is good. So that balances it out, right? And so is Jordan Walker, so. That things are damn, they're fine. I'm not weeping for the Cardinals fans, but yes, it was that was fun and a little crazy and gave us stuff to talk about. Where I, I pointed out at the time, I like I think pulling the infield in. I don't, I'm not a huge fan of bringing the infield in just in general because it's sort of the um, it's one of the more singles defenses, right? You're just increasing the chances of a hit that causes more damage. Um, and I think in that situation, that was a mistake that actually like that was a tangible mistake. It, re- it actually put more runs on the board. But from a sort of general fan's perspective, those moments are great. I love those, the discussions that those generate. You know, was that right? Was that the right move? Was that not the right move? There was, you know, in the, the Mariners' first game against the Astros, was it right to bring in Robbie Ray? Was it wrong to pitch to Alvarez? Should they have walked him instead? I feel like you get more of those moments. Also, when there's a little back and forth or a little more sense that um, that the game is more in doubt as opposed to, you know, you've got multiple innings in a row where nobody even gets a base run or announce any sort of scoring threat. We need some more of those to keep the conversation going, to keep the interest level high for people who don't have a direct rooting interest in one of the two teams, which is certainly me. I'm not rooting for any particular team to win. Um, and, you know, when you get that, when you get those situations like that, especially now, that is one of the few good things on social media, right? When that happens and we, you know, Twitter explodes in a discussion, I find that really fun and engaging and often come away thinking, all right, you know what? What I thought was, what my initial thought was probably not accurate. In this case, I thought the infield in, I still think that was the wrong move, but sometimes I walk away from those and decide, no, actually I was wrong. I'm still not sure if it was the right move to bring in Robbie Ray and we folks were talking about at the ballpark all day yesterday. Was that actually the right move? And I'm, you know, I think I'm out of the, I, I think it was fine to bring in Robbie Ray in that situation. Uh, but I think I'm in the minority on that. One. I don't know what you thought. I've totally hijacked this conversation. But what? It's like it's, it's eight in the morning out here. I'm, I'm not totally. Hey, we're, we're on the same, we're on the same clock You're right now. You're used to this stuff. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. I'm pretty well caffeinated too. I'm mm. going to put on my jet pack and fly back out of Ketopia and come back to reality. <sighs> Thanks for visiting. Did you pay your exit fee on the way the out, toll? by the way? Yeah, yeah $50 toll for the jetpack. Oh, I'm good. clearly you saw the sign. Yeah, well, you could send me a ticket in the mail. I don't think bringing in Robbie Ray was 
bad process. Mm-hmm. Here's the question I have for anybody who hates that decision. What would you do against Jordan Alvarez right. with runners already on base? How are you going to pitch to that guy? Who do you actually want in the game? He hits lefties. He hits righties. He hits everything. Yep. He's one of the best players in the game. He, I think, is now getting full recognition for that. I don't mm-hmm. think there's a shortage of people who understood this. If there was, it's gone now. He had some injuries, right? He hadn't played a lot. Like, I, yes, I think there's more recognition. He's one of the, you know, we don't have a lot of full-time DHs who are really productive, right? Teams have often used that. They have been more using that like as you know, a bit of a dumping ground or a way to just cycle other players through. You know, we're just going to go cheap on the DH spot, which I kind of don't understand because you should be able to find some Jordan Alvarez. Obviously, he's special, but... You should be able to find somebody to put up big numbers as your DH, but he's doing it, right? He's putting up some David Ortiz type numbers. Um, you know, we'll see how he holds up because obviously he's already had a lot of, I think it's knee knee issues. But right now, peak Jordan Alvarez, you know, top ten in the league, he would have made my fake MVP. He made my fake AL MVP. Would have I would have had him at the back of the ballot if I'd had that vote. You could argue Alvarez as probably a top three hitter league wide. Mm-hmm. That's the type of player he actually is. A couple things that are, are kind of jumping off the page to me right now is you have Aaron Nola taking the ball in game three for the Phillies. With Atlanta, we don't really know what they're going to get from Spencer Strider. And since they have this off day on Thursday before the series resumes on Friday, my thinking would be that if you're not sure how far Strider is going to go into the game, mm-hmm. throw him coming off an off day because if you have to use more relievers, your bullpen is fully rested. I think that's the better play than waiting an extra game or bringing him in in relief. I think you kind of maximize the positive benefits of Strider that way as opposed to throwing him you know, as a piggyback guy if you, if you think he's only going to go two or three innings. I don't think that's bad usage. I think optimal usage is to go ahead and just use him as the starter in game three and just see how far he can go. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. Giving the do, Trying to do that on a day when your bullpen is better rested when... I don't know offhand who they'd use as their long man, but he's available, more available, um, especially coming off, you know, it's an off day and a day where you didn't have to burn any of your long men in your bullpen in game too. So to me, yes, that is probably the best situation. When Strider first went on the IL, there was a lot of talk that like, he's not really that hurt, but they're just being extra cautious. You know, it's the end of the season. They probably, you know, they know they're going, you know, they weren't maybe necessarily fighting that hard for the division. And then suddenly it became, hey, we don't know how healthy he is. So I'm a little, I, I don't know anything more than what's been publicly reported. I was surprised when suddenly this was like, we don't know how much Strider's going to be able to pitch. I, like, I thought he was fine and they were just being extra, extra cautious because of the end of a long season. So, and that's what I'm hoping, right? I'm hoping we see peak Strider for, even if it's a five and dive outing, fine. Absolutely fine. Like this is, yep, that's great. He hasn't pitched in a couple of weeks. Totally understand that. Yeah, last outing, six innings back on September 18th. It's an oblique injury that he's dealing with, and you can get your bingo markers ready. Obliques are tricky. Oh, yes. That's right. Yeah. Back injuries linger. I can't wait for John Smoltz to say, it's, I, it's, it's amazing given what Strider's been going through. Oh, you mean he got hurt? <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was wondering about the Dansby Swanson comment, if, if it was the getting quick pitched by Yoan Lopez and getting hit in the face, if that was what he was referring to, or I don't know. It's like five years ago? That's a long time ago. And he came back fine. I'm yeah. so confused. Yeah, it's all right. 
Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at Fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's move on to the other NLDS series for a moment. We're going to have Tony Gonsolin and Blake Snell in Game 3 of Dodgers-Padres. we got five innings from each starter. Hugh Darvish left with some traffic in the sixth. Padres were protecting a lead at the time. Robert Suarez came in and was great. Got out of the jam, came back, fired a scoreless seventh. The Padres' bullpen is coming up big so far. And the reason this series is 1-1 and not 2-0 for the Dodgers, I would say, has a lot to do with the Padres' bullpen being nails so far i'm curious with uh, josh Hader, where would you put the trust level on him right now i mean he was brutal for a little while after the trade started to write the ship in september he looks to me as someone who's seen a lot of Hader, as like kind of typical Hader with that shaky command velocity looks pretty good but freddie freeman missed the home run by about two feet mm-hmm. off of Hader. Mm-hmm. so I'm probably somewhere in that seven and a half out of 10 range. If you're saying like, how much do you trust hater where peak hater was like 10 out of 10, like this guy, this guy's coming in the games over. So he's heading in the right direction, but I don't know. I, I think there's still kind of a, a hold your breath sort of thing happening in each of his outings that might just be the result of facing the Dodgers and having to navigate that lineup. there's not really a lot. There, there are very few easy plate appearances navigating most parts of that lineup. Yep. I am a hundred percent with you on that. That he's not peak hater. Like I just think that's not the guy he is anymore. But he's he's using hater in in the sense that that's like that's the best he's got. And I understand that. I wouldn't certainly wouldn't expect him to do anything different in this situation. But I was actually especially surprised that it wasn't a four out save. He hadn't had a four out save in two three years at this point. Kind of thought we weren't doing that. I'm not criticizing it. But that's pretty interesting to me, especially given what we've seen from Hader sort of reduced trust at this point. I was surprised. Yeah, I think part of the Hader rules, which I don't think were ever really labeled as such. Was, oh, don't you start. Do not. We do not need the Java rules again. No, we don't need that again. I just think it was more of a regular season thing, especially where he didn't want to pitch more than one inning at a time. And mm-hmm. I don't, the Brewers were on board with that. And yeah. the playoffs are totally different. I imagine that there's a conversation that's had. That's, yeah, sure, whatever, whatever you need. Let's just let's go win. Maybe yeah. that's how it went, something along those lines. But it was the first time that he had a save that was more than one inning uh, since August of 2020. So okay, yep, the kind of stuff that you do in the postseason. Even if you even if he'd never had an outing like that before, we could have seen that. That's I think that's the right way to play it. Stakes are higher if you think someone's capable of being the best option in a situation. Mm-hmm. Do it, and I think that's the sort of process that leads you. To Robbie Ray giving up the homer to Jordan Alvarez, sometimes outcome is bad, 
But if the process is what you believe in, go for it. Take your chance. Right. Stakes are as high as they could possibly be. I, I don't know that there was, I, didn't, I did not see any discussion after the fact of what else he should, should have done in that situation. Yeah. Who were you going to go to if you didn't continue to use Hater there? Right. I am completely fine with, in, in, with his choice in that context. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Let's look over at the ALDS. We're going to have a couple game twos going down later on Thursday. Rain permitting. Sounds like rain is a bit of a factor. It's going to be very wet. Yeah. Have fun with that, guys. It's going to be 90 and sunny out here in Arizona, by the way. Did I mention that? Yeah, you should remind everyone again. It's going to be 90 and sunny here. I want to ask you about Nestor Cortez. This is a pretty fun story because Mm -hmm. it's very atypical just in terms of the stuff and, and how he gets hitters out and the results have been excellent going back to last season. He had great numbers at many of his minor league stops. We've seen a handful of lower velocity pitchers have success. I mean, I, I, Cortez throws harder than Kyle Hendricks, but Kyle Hendricks is that kind of guy that you'd watch him and you'd look at the results and you'd watch him, you'd look at the results, you're like, wait, this doesn't, how is he, how did he do this? Right. And it just makes me wonder. I mean, we're talking about a guy in Cortez who's a 36th round draft pick. A lot of it is changing his delivery and disrupting timing and and doing some things that we've seen other pitchers with even better stuff do and that makes the stuff play up. When you find someone like this as an evaluator, how do you account for all of that? Because there are a lot of things you can do that aren't going to show up on the radar gun that could make a pitcher effective. A lot of times guys like this end up in the bullpen. Yeah. And I think that's what most people probably had written about Cortez four or five years ago. Most people expected that. But I'm just curious, how, how do you approach someone like this and, and what would give you reason to believe that someone could exceed expectations when players end up in that bucket so often? Yeah, I don't know. I know Lindsay Adler's written a good bit about Cortez for us. Um, I, you know, I don't know anything independently about what she's written about you know, what the, why the Yankees, didn't the Yankees let him go twice and kept reacquiring him? Um, but, and it was only obviously in this go round where they added the cutter. And suddenly he became what he is right now. And not only did it, you know, the cutter itself is effective, but it's made his four-seamer one of the most effective pitches in baseball. I know that teams that – Cleveland's a team that's done a lot where they identify certain pitchers with certain characteristics and that they can then make some adjustments to. And the Yankees, at least we know, have done that with this sweeper slider that they give a lot of these – that they give a lot of their pitchers. Um I think that, you know, for to your question in terms of sort of what a, you know what do scouts look for, you're looking for pitchers who have you know Cortez have certain characteristics. Like he'd had some success in the minors that you know at least pointed to oh, this guy should at least have a bullpen role. He lacks you know a guy was like we think the delivery is good or at least good enough that we can. You know, we can do some things with him. We can make some of these adjustments. We think he's athletic enough potentially to make adjustments. He throws strikes. He generally had very good walk numbers, good you know, low uh, low walk totals, good strike percentages. Um, even up to the high minors was pretty close to average. In you know, even once he got to the high minors and started using the you know using the different baseball, et cetera, et cetera. And that is, you know, I think that's something that a lot of teams do focus on is, you know, find me a guy with a delivery we think works, who throws strikes, he needs an out pitch, he needs more velocity. Those are things we think we can do. 
But then you have teams like the Dodgers, who I think go a little bit in the other direction. They're like, yeah, we, we're fine. If a guy, if we think a guy is athletic and has stuff, we can work on command. I mean, that's why they took Maddox Bruns in the draft. Which the, that, you know, they've had some mixed success there, but he's only 19. They, Nick Nostrini was one of those guys where they saw athleticism. They saw control that was improving when he was in college, but still wasn't good by the time they got him. And now he's one of their better pitching prospects. Uh, so teams are looking for – it's different from team to team, but I think several teams have gotten to this point now where they say, just give us someone who fits in this general bubble and has a couple of these characteristics. We know what to what to do with them. And I think in Cortez's case, it was more what I was describing earlier. We think the, uh, we think the arm is good. Uh, just in general, we think that he throws enough strikes. We think the delivery works. We think we can add something there. You know, it's maybe they saw, you know, he's had good, very good spin rates on the slider. And maybe they saw that and thought, okay, he's got a good spin rate on the slider. And he's got a four seamer that we think will play out more if we give him something that is essentially, a, you know, a pitch. I was going to say a, a change-up sort of alternative. In other words, a pitch to keep hitters just from being on the four-seamer, that the four-seamer secondary characteristics are good enough if there's another pitch that'll look like that coming out of his hand. But that's something I think a lot of teams, you know, that's a formula I think a lot of teams are trying to follow. And I think teams that aren't doing stuff like that risk getting left behind. And this has been a huge conversation around the Royals where Alec Lewis and Rustin Dodd wrote that long piece about the lack of development for the Royals for their highly touted pitching prospects. The Royals also haven't had a ton of success with less highly touted guys, with turning guys around too. So you have to kind of have to do both. Um, And the Yankees, I think, have been one of the better teams at doing this, at finding guys, um, finding hidden value in guys, converting guys. You know, they can get a lot of guys to throw harder in their minors. And then, you know, in that case, I think they turn around and trade those guys. Waldachuk, Wisniewski, um, Guys who were not highly touted, not high draft picks, not highly touted, gotten in the Yankee system, got a bit better, boom, we can trade them for something. There's value in that. And if you're not one of those teams doing that, you do risk falling behind. I think it's even more important, too, going back to what you were saying earlier about the pitch clock and, and knowing the fatigue that's going to be more of an issue for starters, having to work faster. It's going to be an issue for relievers, too. But thinking about it from a starting pitcher perspective, the ability to get guys out without throwing 95, yep. 96, 97, Big fan. that might be at a premium. This might be more sustainable, right? Working quickly, but having all these these pitches with command that I think the really important thing that you, you hit on that people need to think about is the, the visualization. You've probably seen these. The visualization of everything coming out of the hand, looking yep. the same for as long as possible, and then having what I think Eno has called the banana peel effect, where at the last second all the pitches move out in different directions and you're just like, how could you possibly know which of those pitches you're actually getting when the the movement, the break is at the very sure. last second like that, that makes everything play up when everything spins efficiently and works off of you know each other. Like those, those approaches I think are going to be uh, probably a lot more important moving forward. And it's, it's a step away from velocity, velocity, velocity. And there's always going to be, interest in making guys throw harder that's great but if you can't make guys throw harder because of x y and z pitch clock arms breaking some people just can't throw harder then you can also do this and this works and it's a different look too i think just thinking about the contrast of you saw garrett cole in game one and now you Mm -hmm. see nestor cortez in game two and you know there's the handedness factor but it's just 
completely different styles. And I think varying looks with your pitching and even with your lineup, having different types of hitters presents really unique challenges in matchups. And I think that's part of what makes players like this successful as well. Yep. I agree with all of that. And I I also love, yeah, guys who can do stuff with less, with less velocity. I absolutely want to see that. But look, I get excited over guys who throw hard, you know, especially if the fastball looks like it plays, right? I've seen plenty of guys who throw really hard in the fastball. It's whacked, right? Because it's pinned straight. You know, we've seen this, well, I mean, to start rattling off. There's a lot of guys who've done that, who've been like that. But that, I like guys with power stuff, but I also like guys with really good change-ups. To me, that's a, that is also a huge, um, I wouldn't say underrated, because like, there's certainly, I think plenty of teams have kind of figured that out. You know what? That's a great way for guys to get outs without throwing hard if you have a changeup that really looks like the fastball coming out of the hand that has a lot of action to it we'll go back to tink hence you know just keep talking about the same prospect over and over again yeah he's 95 96 fastball is pretty live but it was the changeup that really kind of blew me away like here's this very young relatively inexperienced pitcher who had a changeup that really looked like the fastball coming out of his hand and had big time fading action as it got to the plate yeah give me more of those those are incredibly fun in terms of, you know, yes, he does throw 95, 96, but you don't have to if you have a changeup like that. Guys like that can generally get to the majors if the fastball just, it just has to be sort of good enough. It doesn't have to be super hard if it's, you know, it could be 91, 92, 93 and has a little life to it, a little spin, whatever. But it's the, it is the changeup that becomes the, you know, p- potential separator pitch. Just looking at the other series real quick on the AL mm-hmm. side, the game two Mariners Astros. I've been wondering, is it better if you have the the loss that Seattle had in game one? Is it better to just play the next day or is it better to have that off day to clear your head or see, is it just impossible to know because we're talking about humans and every group of humans are different and there's so many other variables here. There's absolutely no way to to parse it out. Momentum is tomorrow's starting pitcher. Yeah, pretty much. I really believe that. Like, I don't think these are pros. These are adults. They have all dealt with big setbacks on the field at some point in their careers. Yeah, I think they'll 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 bounce back. If Seattle loses this game, that's not going to be why. If Seattle loses this series, that's not actually going to be why. Yeah, that sucked. I I feel for Seattle fans. That was a gut punch, a series of gut punches. For, for 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 a fan base that's taken a few over the just years, just a few, right? Yeah, on the on the we got a couple of you know if we're doing a misery index for fans, like if you want to decide, right? Who do I root for? Um, you know, Cleveland, I think, is up top, right? San Diego's never won a World Series. Seattle never been to a World Series. That's a pretty good start, right? Yeah, you root yeah for you any of choices. those three teams, mm-hmm. yeah. and the Phillies. Although the Phillies have won, like in my, even in my daughter's lifetime, um, they're you know, that is a fan base with a pretty lengthy history of misery right they're still i would argue the least successful of the original 16 franchises when mlb from you know from 1901 i think they are right i believe they are yeah two two world championships and only four or five pennants it's pretty sorry phillies fans i don't mean to pick on you but no that's actually saying root for the you could root for the phillies if that is your rooting interest I think people who listen to this podcast have probably heard uh, Eric Carabell at some point just because they've listened to baseball content for a while. And he seems so unhappy as a Phillies fan. It's so hard to even. It's a way of life. You're committing to misery. Yeah. I married a Phillies Eagles fan. And so she is very much like, no, you don't understand. This is just how we are. 
We just expect bad things to happen. I know a lot of fan bases say that. It is very funny when it is your otherwise extremely rational, science-loving wife saying these things. Where it's like, oh, no, wait, this is really like an ethos. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job Job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Let's get to the 2022 Mets. Let's say goodbye to them because they are a team that will have a ton of decisions to make uh, this offseason. Most teams do. I saw Tim Britton's breakdown of the players coming back, money that's already committed, and... I was reading a few of the comments. Huge mistake on my part. Shouldn't have done that. Uh, Story comments uh, about payroll usually take a pretty harsh turn. If you're a Mets fan, don't worry about your payroll. Just don't. Because your team's going to spend as much money as any other team. So dumb things your team does with payroll probably won't matter as much for you as they do for most teams. So just stop worrying about it. Yeah, I think that's spot on. I have no doubt that they're going to... They're going to spend. I was going to say something like they're going to do what it takes. No, I don't know that I necessarily believe. I wouldn't phrase it that way. They'll spend. They're going to be aggressive. You know, I also say that acknowledging that Mets fans may not necessarily love all the moves, but I have little doubt that they are going to go out and be aggressive and try to, uh, whether it's retaining their own players or bringing players in from outside the organization. Yeah, I absolutely believe they're going to, um, to be aggressive, to try to win. I also... You know, I got to say, there's a lot of hand wringing over the season being some kind of failure or disaster. It's like they lost a two game, they lost a three game series, best two out of three after winning 101 games during the season. Like, I'm sorry, I know Mets fans wanted to go further in the playoffs, but that's a successful season. You got it. That is a twisted mindset that thinks this is some kind of failure. Yeah. And if you look at the Padres, 89 wins this year, they're, they're kind of, a notch better than a typical 89 win team. Yep. It's easy to sit on the outside and say, look, Mets fans, you're going to be fine, but you are going to be fine because you will continue to spend. I think there will be continued investment in player development. And you're going to reach the point where off seasons like this one, where you have to 
buy almost anything and everything you need to keep patching up the roster, eventually that's not going to be true. And they do have a few young players that will probably have larger roles on the 2023 team. Francisco Alvarez will probably be up for a significant portion of the season. Is that fair to say, Keith? Yes, I think that's fair. Brett Beatty probably has a role of some kind. Mark Vientos could have a role of some kind. So I don't know if those guys, all three of them play every day from opening day forward. That would probably be too much of an expectation playing time-wise. But you have a few young impact players. The big issues you really have to iron out, the biggest one is just Jacob deGrom. Are you keeping him? Are you are you making that long-term commitment? Hopefully for their sake, they do. But I think there are plenty of other teams that are going to be willing to work out some kind of complicated deal to bring DeGrom elsewhere. Oh, and you know, where, where, where do you get quality innings from if you're the Mets? If you, if you do lose DeGrom, you could try to make a run at someone like Kershaw or Verlander. I don't know how interested they are in, in going to X, Y, and Z. They seem like the kind of guys that have a narrow or short list of teams that they're willing to pitch for at this mm-hmm. stage. Maybe Carlos Rodon becomes a Met, right? You, there are some innings out there. So is there anything you could see as far as like a trade or something else the Mets could be reasonably looking at to significantly alter the core of this roster? Or is it really just spend, spend, spend for now and continue to, to fix other aspects of the organization working in the background? Yeah, I feel like I don't know. Don't you think they're just going to spend whatever it takes to keep DeGrom? Like, I really feel like that is one of those where Cohen is just going to be like, dude, do not, we're not losing this guy. Right? He's, when completely healthy, I think he's got a good argument that he's the best player in baseball, best pitcher in baseball. I mean, pretty short list. Yep. Totally fair. So to me, that is a, I could see him just saying, and, you know, he's, I was going to say iconic. That's probably not the right word. But he's a guy that obviously they don't want to lose, right? They're a better team if they have him. And also, it would be a pretty big punch to the stomach, again, to lose him. Especially to lose him. Like, the Mets should not be losing players over money. That is, you know, you're in the, what is second largest medium or largest or second largest media market in the country. You're the New York freaking Mets. You should not be losing guys over money. I have a feeling what they're going to do is overpay him. Whatever deal they give him, and he's great. He deserves every penny of it. I mean, from the team perspective, they're going to give him too much. But if you're a Mets fan, be excited. You get to watch Jacob DeGrom Absolutely. for three, four, money. five more years. Yeah, it doesn't. It does not impact you. No, and it's not like they're not going to be able to spend on something else that they need. I don't know that they need a whole lot, right? That team is good. You know, they're going to. They, it's if you, if they retain DeGrom. Um, no, I think they're in. They're in great shape to potentially do it again. I know there's a piece in our sister publication, the New York Times, about how Atlanta is going to be good for a long time. Yeah, I think the Mets are too, actually. like I think that division is just getting stronger. I think the difference for me between the two clubs is Mm -hmm. that Atlanta has the the younger core that they've already extended, and the Mets are still putting more pieces in place to build a core like that. Mm -hmm. And they've traded a lot of prospects. That's the one thing I could say if I were a Mets fan. They've traded away a lot of good young talent that hasn't all panned out, but to try to build this winner. And that is what you do, right? You get prospects to either they either they make your club or you, you trade them to make your club better. I'm not criticizing them for doing so in you know, philosophically. That's fine. However, like that does that speeds up the expiration date on contention when you do that. The biggest 
flaw in the team as far as how it was constructed for 2022 for me is probably the lack of power. I think you can win without hitting a ton of home runs, mm-hmm. but certainly a good thing if you hit more of them than the Mets did this year. So I, you want to add another impact bat and mostly, you know, it's a corner outfield DH option, whatever, however you want to fit that player on the roster. I think they've got enough movable parts to probably make that work. That would probably be the other thing that you want to put on top of bringing back you know, as much as you can from what you had this season. Well, you'll have Beatty, and I'd be surprised if he didn't hit 20 to 25 over the course of a full healthy season next year. Um, so that'll help. But yeah, the DH spot is the one that really jumps out as where they just kind of punted on it this year. And it's kind of like what we were talking about, um, I don't know, 20 minutes ago, where or maybe more, we were talking about Alvarez. Right, it's not everyone's going to find a Jordan Alvarez, but you can do better than what the Mets did. Right, that is a spot where you can certainly find someone or, or someone's to provide more overall production. Yeah, and I think they addressed it in a yeah. good sort of temporary way with yeah. Bogaback and, and Ruff, but you're probably looking for someone even a notch better than that platoon combo. Hopefully, a lot better than that combo as you move forward. So, very doable. A very doable sort of thing. And maybe they use that spot next year to work in Francisco Alvarez, where he's catching more part-time because catching the staff of guys with this stuff, I think, is probably not very easy. But also get his bat in the lineup more because, I mean, he hits the ball really hard. <laughs> he's mm-hmm. a pretty good hitter. Um, and I don't think he's not a catcher, but there's definitely more work for him to do on that side. And so if they said that's what we're going to use the DH spot for this year, fine. Totally down with that. Completely agree with you on that. And I think teams are increasingly willing to let young catchers spend more time in the DH spot than they were in the past. I think that was a, it felt like it was more of a, a no no a while back. Right. Oh, well, if we move him off catcher, he's, he's never going to get better behind the plate. It's like, well, you can, he can improve at catcher playing half the time, sharing the role with someone else, but then also playing the other half the time or most of the time at DH. And you get the bat for, 85% of your games that way, but you don't have to take the growing pains with defense for 85% of your games. That's the damn it, sweet spot that they're probably going to, to land in. Uh, we are going to go on our way out. A reminder, The Athletic is releasing a hardcover coffee table book commemorating Aaron Judge's 2022 season. It's called Chasing History, how Aaron Judge captivated baseball in 2022. You can relive the drama and a keepsake that will last for generations. You can order your limited edition book Today at judge.theathleticbook.com. If you'd like a subscription to The Athletic, a dollar a month for the first six months gets you in the door. Theathletic.com slash baseball show. You can find Keith on Twitter at Keith Law. You can find me at Derek Riper. Enjoy the postseason games. The Athletic Baseball Show returns on Monday.